So all this fall, if you have been tracking with us, we've been doing this sermon series on power. It felt like an appropriate run-up in an election season, and we've been looking at what God's power is like, how he uses it in the world, and what our power is like, how we wield it responsibly. So we started off really, really big. We looked at God's power to love, his power to create all things, his power to bring order and justice and rest to human beings, to whole societies. But now that big, awesome power is starting to come into really clear focus in the person of Jesus. And last week, Liz talked about that moment in history where God poured all of his power into this vulnerable little baby in this dusty little town in the Roman Empire. And suddenly, all of this big power of God is being lived out in this kind of small time and place. And that's where we are this week. We're in that same small time and place. We're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus on earth. We're going to get in a boat with him. We're going to ride across the lake with him. And we're going to see up close what it looks like when God's power comes into direct contact with these other powers. Powers of death and darkness and isolation and oppression. So the first couple of verses from our text in Mark tell us that Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee over to the land of the Gerasenes. And this is like the worst nightmare scenario for a Jewish person. Because for one, the land of the Gerasenes is Gentile territory. So in the Jewish mind, it's full of unclean people. It's an unclean land. People worship pagan gods. And there's even this big herd of pigs nearby on the hillside, these unclean animals, just to show how completely unholy and un-Jewish this place is. But this land is also a place with this long history of injustice. Everywhere that Jesus lives and ministers is under Roman occupation by these military units called the Roman Legion. And nobody likes this occupation, but this land of the Gerasenes has been one where they have been particularly cruel. There has been a lot of violence here. The Roman legion station there has been really ruthless. And then on top of that, this story is taking place in some sort of burial site. It's among the tombs. And there is nothing in the Jewish system more unclean than dead bodies. But here we see Jesus landing in a place and ministering in a place where he is totally surrounded by them. And then to top all of it off, there is a demon here, what the text calls an unclean spirit. So Jesus has gone to just about the least holy place that a Jewish person could ever imagine. And he didn't just wind up there by accident. He wasn't strolling past. He got in the boat. And he dragged his friends with him, and he went across the sea on purpose to get there. Now, up until this part of Mark's gospel, Jesus has been healing clean Jewish people in clean Jewish places. But this story, with all these crazy details, 
as something new happening. Jesus is bringing God's power into unclean places. Jesus is stopping at nothing to bring that power and that healing into the places of deep human pain and need. And he's crossing every kind of barrier. He's crossing this geographic barrier of the sea, this racial and ethnic barrier of that ancient Jew-Gentile divide. He's crossing this political barrier of the Roman occupation and the spiritual barrier of demonic oppression. So we see God's power coming near to human suffering in the person of Jesus. And I want to look for a minute at this demonic oppression. This demon has totally overpowered this man, giving him this kind of superhuman strength. But it's not the kind of strength that enhances this man's humanity, that gives him more dignity. It makes him almost like this grotesque beast. It's like a distortion, a twisting of what his body was made to do. And so he's spending his nights and his days just wandering around the tombs, this place of death. And he's howling like an animal. He's beating himself with stones. He never sleeps. He never rests. So it's this extreme picture of every good thing that God intended for people just going horribly, horribly wrong. Where this man ought to be part of a community, part of life, he's isolated. He's in this place of death. And where he should be leading a life of order and creativity with rhythms of work and rest, there's just chaos and self-harm. There's this Sabbathless, meaningless, wandering existence. And so we see here power put to its most destructive end, to distort and to shame and to rob a human being of the dignity that is his as an image bearer of God. And as soon as Jesus sees this, he directs the power of God to setting things right. But then the demon flexes his power. They get into this exchange, and he cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, he's not naming Jesus here to worship him, but it's actually to manipulate, to control, and extend his power over him. Because there is this ancient belief that if you just said, the precise name of your opponent, that you would have power over them. And then the story gets even weirder because Jesus turns the tables and asks the demon for his name. And he answers, legion. Now that word would have only meant one thing to the people listening to Mark's story. It would have meant a foreign occupier a brutal oppressor like the Roman legion. And then this demonic legion begs to be sent into the pigs. Jesus permits them, and the pigs hurl themselves off this cliff and drown. It's all really wild. 
And there are about a thousand interpretations of what is happening here and why, and we won't go through all of them. But a friend of mine who spent many years working and ministering and frankly suffering in the Horn of Africa, in Somalia and Eritrea and Ethiopia, he shared with me one particular interpretation of this passage that I think only someone who has lived under oppression might see, or certainly might see it better than we do. He showed me how everything in this passage from here on out takes on this military tone. It gets a little lost in translation, but that word for the herd of pigs is actually not an animal word. It's a military word. It's kind of like calling a flock of chickens a battalion. It's not a pig word. It's a word for a group of soldiers. And then that language for Jesus permitting the demons to go into that herd, that's actually the language of military command, of sending troops into battle. And then when those troops get swallowed up in the sea, Mark's audience couldn't help but think of Pharaoh's army all those years ago being swallowed up in the sea in that great Jewish rescue story. The people listening to Mark tell his story would have grown up on that story, and they would have been longing year after year for their own rescue from this Roman legion. And so we get here all these hints that Jesus is bringing God's power against the powers of darkness in all its forms. Definitely in the individual, in this man whose life has been ruined. But we also get hints that he's bringing it into institutions and societies, into whole structures that are corrupted and twisted and perverted. There is this Roman legion occupying the land and oppressing the people. And there is this demonic legion occupying the man and oppressing him. And Jesus is saying to both of them, your days are numbered. The power of God is coming near. And so then we see this man completely restored. He is this picture of wholeness. He is finally at rest in body and mind and spirit. He's finally able to go home to mend all those relationships that have been torn apart. Jesus gives him a fresh new purpose for his life, to tell his friends about the powerful mercy of God. And he gives him this small role in taking God's power deeper into Gentile territory, so that N.T. Wright even calls this man the first Gentile apostle. In this story, life has replaced death, and freedom has replaced chains, and community has replaced isolation and loneliness. And we just see order and dignity and purpose where naked wandering used to be. This is what human life is intended to be. But this has been a costly healing. There are all those pigs, all that lost food, all that lost income, it's just gone. And when God's power to heal and restore 
encounters the distorted powers of sin and oppression, it's always costly. It's always disruptive. In the next few weeks of this sermon series, we'll see exactly how costly this power encounter will be for Jesus. And we'll see how costly, but how joyfully disruptive the life that he's calling us to is. But this is just all too much for the villagers. And so they beg Jesus to leave. And maybe the economic cost of healing just one man feels too high. Or maybe they've gotten so used to him wailing among the tombs that they've kind of grown numb to it, to his suffering and to the disjointedness in their community. Maybe they're scared of how this disruption to their status quo is going to feel, what it's going to mean, even if their status quo is not that great. Well, as we go into our time of silence, I want you to think about where you find yourself in this story. Maybe you're someone who needs to get in the boat with Jesus so he can help you cross a barrier. Maybe you need to cross a racial or an ethnic or a political barrier. Maybe you need to find ways to move in love toward those that you consider wrong or unclean. Or maybe you find yourself living among the tombs, maybe not tormented by a demon, but maybe isolated and restless, self-destructive, disordered. Maybe you need Jesus' powerful presence to bring life. Or maybe you're on the other side of that and you've recently experienced God's power. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to tell someone about his mercy. Or maybe you're one of those weary villagers who's just become kind of numb to our status quo this year, who's just turning a blind eye to oppression and suffering because there's been so much of it in 2020. There's such a strong temptation to grow callous to it because everywhere we look, we see the image of God being distorted Maybe you're a little bit scared of what Jesus might want to disrupt in your life. Well, I confess that I find myself floating between all of these parts of the story all the time throughout the pandemic. But as I thought about this this week and this morning, I feel like I am right there among the tombs. Now, I'm not being oppressed by a demon I've just been so aware lately, as my kids are homeschooling, as things pile up, of my own fragility, just my own restless energy, this powerful capacity of mine to hurt other people, to hurt myself. And I need Jesus' disruption. I need his forgiveness. I need his healing. I just need him to be with me. 
But there's good news here for me and for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in this story. Because those disruptive powers that want to distort the image of God in us and in our neighbors, the powers of sin, of darkness, the powers of corrupt human institutions, Jesus has declared their days are numbered. The power of God is near to us in the person of Jesus. And he is at work setting things right. 